0: You're listening to The Traffic and Funnels Show. This is Cashflow Ninja. My name is MC Lobsher, and I've got an awesome guest for you in today's show, Taylor Welch. He's the founder of Traffic and Funnels, Wealthcap Holdings, and the sales mentor. Taylor, welcome to the show.
1: Amazing. Thank you for having me. Glad to be here.
0: Yeah, super excited for our conversation today and to connect for our listeners. Taylor is an uber-entrepreneur. Uh, He's doing a lot of uh, impressive things in business and investments, Uh, and when I came across a lot of the things that he uh, was doing, I said, this is uh, someone that I need to have on this show. For folks not familiar with you and what you do, can you please share a little bit about your background and journey with them?
1: Yeah, um, so I was not the typical kid who wanted to be an entrepreneur. I envy those people so much because they're like, you know, I was selling lemonade when I was 12 and I'm like, man, if I would have had that head start, you know, oh my God, imagine. But I, I had no idea what entrepreneurship was. I actually worked at a church. My wife was an entrepreneur. And I got into marketing first and foremost because she wanted more clients. And I was like, I can teach myself anything. Uh, you know, let me pick up a book. I got into marketing, discovered that I had a knack for it. I, I actually, you know, if you look back, I have, I have a knack for learning, I didn't necessarily have a knack, have a knack for marketing but I had a knack for the acquisition of skills in learning. So I learned marketing, um, connected with my business partner, Chris Evans, things blew up, things exploded. oftentimes I feel like if you look at at your life, you know, oftentimes you've got these ingredients, but they're not put together in the proper recipe. And then once you can figure out the recipe and get around the right environment, the right people, it can be a spark that just sets the forest on fire. And that was me, man, like I was raised in, you know, the idea of, of leadership. My dad was uh, a VP at a big company. And when I got into marketing, it was like all of these ingredients my whole life kind of were mixed together in the right order. And man, we just started going and pushing and running. And then I fell in love with the game, forgot about money. Who cares about money? And I just loved building business and kind of turned into the definition of like a serial entrepreneur. It's like, man, I'll build something, I'm t- tired of it. Let me go build something else hire the team, build something else. And here we are, you know?
0: Yeah. Yeah. What I I love about what you did too is how the businesses kind of flow into one another and they serve different purposes, you know, to your point uh, in your overall wealth strategy, because uh, I see that, you know, a lot of your businesses generate cash for you, but then, you know, you are doing something else with the money to invest passively, generating income independent of your businesses, Can you talk about the certainty that that provides and gives an entrepreneur? Because it changes the game completely, right? 100%. It gives the
1: income a meaning. I always tell people in presentations and talks, I think there are three main assets or three main types of wealth that you can build. Income is the first one. Because if you don't have income, it takes away freedom. And when you're first starting out, you think that income is everything because you don't have any and you don't have any choices, you don't have any options. And so it's the one thing that matters, but then you get to a place of surplus and you're like, man, income is just the first step. You don't have any meaning past a certain level of income. Once your bills are paid, you know, they economic, economic people say that it's the, it's the constantly devaluing utility of money. Once you have a little bit and you have a lot, it becomes less and less valuable. And so we started, we got a big tax bill. I can tell you the whole story, man. We had a big tax bill in 2017 and we were like, this sucks. We're giving away so much money and we went into the next phase of wealth, which is your assets. You know, what are you actually, what, I feel like income is the height of the tree and your assets are really the root system down in the grounds that keep everything from blowing over with a little bit of wind. And we just were like, we're going to put a we're going to put all of our money into assets because I don't want to, A of all, give all of my money away in taxes. And now I love, I love paying taxes. Everybody's got to pay taxes. We live in a great country and, you know, it's each his own, whatever. But investing that income into assets gives you this ability to really get grounded. And you're not worried about what the market's going to do. You're not worried about, you know, the economic crash of 2020 because of the pandemic. You're not worried about, there, it takes away the stress because you have a constantly growing base of assets and then you're able to compound that. You know, income doesn't compound by itself if you think about that. But assets compound by itself with no outside interference. And so, yeah, TF is, is an income source, sales mentor is an income source, but then wealth cap is designed to take that money and convert that currency from a devaluing currency, which is dollars, cash, because of inflation, whatever. You know, the Fed is printing $4 trillion. Your money's about to get less valuable, whether you like it or not. It's just going down because of inflation. So you take that currency and you swap it over into an asset and, and those assets, all the, they're designed to keep up with inflation, get more valuable. And then you wake up in 10 years, I tell clients all the time, what, if you fell asleep for 10 years, would you wake up richer or poorer? And the reality is if you only focus on income, you're waking up poor, man. Like, unfortunately you have nothing in 10 years, but if you are investing in assets, man, I wake up in 10 years, I have done nothing, but I'm a wealthier man in 10 years from doing nothing. It's a no brainer. If you think about it the right way you know
0: and, and especially if you build the systems and one of the things that you touched on is 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 so true because sometimes entrepreneurs have a, a mindset that they can solve all solve all problems with more revenue and making more money yeah. but you just alluded to well <laughs> as the revenue goes up if you don't have a plan if that's your only plan then guess what else comes up with that your tax bill right and all of the other things so you have to figure out the places and the roles that everything's going to play because there's many many different things that uh, assets and good solid hard assets is doing for you in every type of economy up down and sideways hundred percent i We
1: just did a presentation with a bunch of investors for wealth cap and i'm i'm going to take it and give it to some of our clients on TF because I think it's valuable if you if you look at your life like a linear left to right. You know, everyone's got the grind years. And these are the years that you just don't like what you're doing. You're in college or you're in school or you're a beginner entrepreneur and you just, man, you might love it, but you hate your life. Let's be honest. Like you're, you're working from 4 30 in the morning to nine o'clock at night. You're not making any money. You are grinding, right? You've been there. I've been there. Everyone has to go there at some point. You earn your stripes and then you have this period in the middle where it's the return, the reward years. And people get lulled to sleep in their return years, their reward years, because they don't realize that there's another season after that. At a certain point, you're going to get tired. You're going to have grandkids or your business is going to go away or a competitor is going to buy you or or whatever. And how a person handles their reward years determines that third category, which is either declining greatness. You know, we all have a friend who Like they only talk about when they were in high school playing football. It's like, dude, that was the peak of your life, man. Or they only talk about how they used to make all this money and they used to have this business. This is when you get to that declining period of your life where you have to work past your prime because you never set anything up. Or you can have what we call the crowned jewel where Chris is at, where I'm at, even though I'm only 31 years old. I'm not, old. I'm not as old as Chris, so you know, I don't, I don't have kids and like, I have one daughter, but he's, he's got a 16 year old. She's about to start driving. She's about to leave. Chris doesn't have to work anymore. He's able to spend time with the people that matter to him because he made wise decisions in his reward years. I think so many people miss this because they're just living high off the hog, but there's a way to set your life up so that you never have to work again if you don't want to. And that that's freedom, man. That's ultimate freedom.
0: Yeah. Which ties into some of the, the other the other types of um, uh, category that you focus on too and, and, and a freedom. What of your most valuable resources and assets, time and identity that you've spoken about?
1: Yeah, like so if you picture income, income is the first class of wealth, and then assets is the second class of wealth, and then the third class of wealth is really the most important, which is time. If you think about it, everyone talks about it, but very few people really get it, get the point driven home. You know, there's there's only one asset, only one asset that we cannot recover. You can be in shape now right? And then in six months, you're out of shape, but you can get back in shape. You know, you can have money now, lose it and then get more money, you know, but you can't miss your son's first baseball game and ever go back and get that. It's gone. Time is this asset that's never going to replenish. And so, what we really try to take people is from the bottom to the top. You know, we, we have a guy named uh, Alaric and I always brag on him because he joined tra- Traffic and Funnels when he was in college. And it was a really big decision. He was scared to death, but ultimately he did it. He was making four or five grand a month and he got to the place in TF where he was making several hundred thousand dollars a month. And I think he's 25 or 26. It's ridiculous. And now he's buying properties. And we're taking somebody like that from a place where they don't have income, they don't have assets, they don't have time, to a place where they have income, now they're building assets, to hopefully a place in the future where he's now going to get his time back as well, where he's going to replace the income he makes from his business passively. And ultimately, what that does for a person is it frees them up to really spend the time that they have on this planet doing things that they care about, doing things that are in alignment with who they want to be. And identity kind of rests underneath everything else. You know, everything flows out of your identity. Yeah. If you know, we have people on our my my job as a CEO CEO is transitioned from coaching clients to now I'm I'm really coaching team mostly, and those teams are coaching clients. And the one thing that we have to really tackle more than anything else is is somebody's identity. You know, out of out of their identity flows insecurity or confidence. Out of their identity flows fear or strength. You know, that identity you have and how you feel about yourself sets a cap on your level of influence in the world. And it's very difficult to outgrow a bad identity. I'm not saying it's impossible, but it's very difficult. We can tackle, we can go as deep into that as you want, but it's, it's, a, it's a big swimming pool to dive into.
0: Let's um, dive into uh, uh, all three of them in a little bit more detail. Um, if, if we think about income, we think about businesses, we think about where we are at today. You know, I call it sort of the reset which occurred and happened, right? And a lot of people are going to recreate, reinvent, um, and recalibrate their businesses and, 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 and what they're doing. Um, and of course, in times like these, I think it was Simon Sinek that had a video out on his team where he said, this is not unprecedented times. <laughs> yeah, things. This just happened a lot faster than the other times. You kind of saw the other things kind of coming. So um, for folks that are starting right now and building, uh, try to generate income and building income, there's certain uh, parts of of the business too, which which you've spoken about of levels of income. What are some of the things that you can share for some of our listeners and viewers to be looking at doing in this new world, in this new economy to generate more income and build businesses?
1: Yeah, so there, there are the basics and then there's the nuances. And most of the things we teach, we separate those two out. The, the basics are going to be, you know, you've got to go to the gym. You've got to eat the right food. That's it. But the nuances are like, man, let's, let's program in a deload week because not every week can be a push week. And let's actually track your macros, you know, and, and you eat more on training days than you do on non-training days. So you see the difference between, like, just the basics of doing the right thing versus the nuances of doing the right things the right way. Those are very different categories. The basics right now are like, man, people, you are going to earn income in direct proportion to two things. Number one, the amount of pain you solve for other people. And number two, the level which your identity will allow. So you can be a very, you can have the best business where you're just solving real problems for people and people love your service and they love what you're doing, but your identity, your your thermo, your thermostat is set at 30,000 a month. And anything over 30,000 a month starts making you feel fearful and nervous and afraid. And I've seen people actually unwind profitable businesses because they are so addicted. They are so mentally addicted to feeling like they just, they're in that grind. They want to stay in that grind that they will go in and break things so that they can then come in and fix them. Sounds weird. sounds crazy, but you've probably seen this a thousand times yourself. Yep. And so from a basic standpoint, it's like, you know, what is it right now that people need? What is it that they are afraid of? What is it that people are really, uh, you know, when they, when they are going to bed at night, what are the things that they are actually thinking about when they don't want to be thinking about them? What are the things that people are afraid of, but they're, they don't want other people to know that they're afraid of them? Finding these secrets in human psychology will give you a lot of runway to be able to create new products, new businesses. And right now, in a season of uh, economic, you know, retraction, what you, what you wanna focus on is you wanna focus on the, the vitals. You know, in a good market, you can build a great business, a thriving business focusing on the extremities. Or it's like, hey, let me make your life more convenient. Cool, people will pay for that. Not now, they won't necessarily right now. You wanna focus on, Man, you know, before I could make money with a Band-Aid, but now I, this person's neck is bleeding, I'm just gonna go to the vitals. And that's a big difference. You know, don't, don't be creating a business around an app that helps people with traffic. Like that's not going to probably be your best bet right now because people are more worried about food than they are traffic. So how do you go for the vitals rather than the extremities? And then also with, with velocity, velocity is an interesting thing. The reason we are in a retraction is actually not because money's not there. There's more money than there's ever been in the history of the world. You know, the, there's trillions of dollars that we didn't have two months ago. It's actually velocity. The speed of money is slowing down. So, you know, the, the person who pays their rents, and then that rent is distributed out to the employees, and that person goes to Starbucks, gives the money to Starbucks, and the person, the barista gets paid to Starbucks, and then they save their money, they invest in the coaching program, but the person at the apartment it's a cycle, the money has slowed down. So what you have to do as an entrepreneur is you have to compensate that with your offers by speeding up. So in, in fast velocity, you don't have to make as many offers, but with slower velocity, you need to be making a lot more offers, touching a lot more people, putting a lot more effort into the process, and that will counterbalance. Make sense.
0: Yeah. How about price points too? Because that's obviously going to tie into this new new economy too. Depends on what you're selling, but but remember, price points
1: is really not as uh, much of the issue because. It, and here, let me prove my point. If the market loses money, if the money is going down, then price point is affected. But right now, what we're seeing is there's more money in the market everything is lifted. Mm-hmm. The, the volume of money is lifted. So price point's not the issue. Velocity is the issue, which means, and what affects velocity, believability, excitement, human emotion. Those are the things that affect the speed of money. So what it means is that if you keep your price point, don't change your price point right now. Talk to more people, get better at communicating that there's, there's a need behind what you're doing. Because the same people who were buying six months ago, they're still going to buy today. They're just going to take a little bit longer. So you need to have more irons in the fire. That's that's my point of view, and it's actually working out pretty well for our clients.
0: Yeah, and I think also there's a lot of people ready to kickstart <laughs> their lives again. Right? Oh, they're so ready. They're uh, they're they're all pent up. Yeah. Oh, it's they're ready to to rumble and get going. So there is going to be that emotional, as you, the mentioned driver of people getting in there trying to. Build build their businesses. Employees going in and and working working like they've never worked before to get this started because yep. there is this instilled fear. Like oh my goodness, like there could be really really bad times ahead as this thing get gets go- going up. And this is a lot of opportunity for everyone because people are going to really want to exchange, which is all you know. The velocity is what you what you were talking about, right?
1: Hundred percent. Yep. But that that's an opportunity for entrepreneurs to lead in lean into that, you know, they lean into that excitement. You know, the fear is actually probably more damaging than what you're actually afraid of. Yeah. And, you know, being able to communicate that to people is important, but being able to communicate that to yourself so that you don't become a person of retreat. What wealthy people advance in times like these, they don't retreat in times like these. And if you actually study the markets, it's, it's a little trippy how historically, everybody who is wealthy today picked up most of their wealth in bad times.
0: And let's just go back to 2008, 2009, that last crisis. Think of all the, I mean, the sharing economy basically came from from that, and the many different businesses that was built just around the sharing economy.
1: People think that this one is going to be worse than 2008, but I disagree. In 2008, we had a trickle down, it was a trickle down crisis where the people at the top were making bad decisions and they were you know, bun- they were bundling the loans, and you, you've probably gone all into that. The, the decisions at the top affected the people at the bottom. Yeah. But we'll, we'll now we have a trickle-up crisis, where the people at the bottom are really destabilizing all the way up through the chain. You know, somebody gets laid off, they can't pay the rent, that's a trickle-up, it's trickling up. And what happens with the trickle-down is it tends to take a long time to recover, because you've got the organizations at the top, and they've made all of the decisions and they've lost all of the money and that's forced down to the person at the bottom. But we trickle up, like for instance, we have 30 million people in the United States who have lost their jobs, but it's a binary switch. That's what people aren't realizing. Every, every restaurant opens back up, all these things start up back up. What are those businesses going to do? They're going to go rehire because the businesses have liquidity. Yep. And so I think it's very different. I think it's going to be more of a B and it's going to be potentially more damaging for a second, but it'll pop back up pretty quick because you cannot discount the human emotion Excitement piece of this recession, and I just call me crazy, but uh, I think that this is probably going to be a quite a bit different type of recession than two
0: thousand eight, two thousand nine. No, there's most certainly going to be a lot of opportunity. I can just see people are ready, ready to rumble. And and to your point, a lot of the businesses and there's projects that I'm involved with where we were we basically had to shut down. Period. That when it opens up there's going to be people needed in those projects so they're gonna they're gonna we're gonna have to to hire and rehire a lot of the folks um that uh that had to be temporarily laid off during the last time let's then touch on so that's some of the 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 income pieces of this and there is a lot of lot of opportunity when it comes to income and there's some valuable insights that you just shared let's touch on the assets the uh, part of wealth again you mentioned, you know, investing passively, generating passive income. What are some of the things that you're looking at um, from in, within your business? What, So maybe if you could also share what type of real estate are you guys in? What type of markets are you looking at? Um, and what you're seeing for real estate uh, in the coming year in this in 2020?
1: Yeah, so we're in, we stick to single family only right now.
0: And the decision was made in 2000
1: early 2019 because my background before I became entrepreneurial was in real estate. Chris has a background in mortgages and loans and um, the, the financing side and all my experience was in single family and obviously multifamily was going through a boom. It was the sexy. And, and when when you become, when you become a seasoned entrepreneur, uh, you don't like sexy you, you kind of steer away from that because I'm like man if, if if it's sexy Everybody's gonna be coming and trying to compete with me at the same time And I tell people all the time. They think I'm literally out of my minds If I could have a portfolio of businesses, they would be boring Like lawn care pesticide companies like things that nobody wants to do Nobody grows up being like I want to have a pesticide company But that means that the barrier of entry is likely higher and the competition is gonna be lower and If you study market cycles most of the times, businesses get stabilized because of competition and price deregulation, which just comes from competition. So we stayed in a single family. We're in, right now, we're in lower density areas. Again, if you would go back, if you look at our journey, you would think that I predicted the future and me and Chris predicted the future. We didn't. We just honored fundamentals, principles. You know, we, we didn't want to be in, in highly dense areas where everybody was competing for the same pieces of land. We wanted to be more in rural areas that were supported by a bigger city, but a suburb of the bigger city. And so we're in. We have a couple suburbs in Kansas City. We are in the suburbs of Birmingham, Alabama, which is like the holy grail of investing. Yep. We're in uh, the suburbs of Charlotte, North Carolina. We're starting to get into Knoxville and Branson for vacation rental. So, and these are just boring properties that you know you can pick up really undervalued, and then we have rehab teams in the markets that fix them. And uh, puts tenants in them, puts renters in them, and so I tell people all the time. I, I have two goals with the assets, and these are the these are prioritized goals in proper order. The priority number one is capital storage, not income, because if you follow this thing the right way, like you already have income sources, you don't need income from assets. You don't em, emphasis on need. Yeah, right. I'll take it, but I don't need it. So the, the number one goal is capital storage, which means you can't lose it. That's the only thing. Like I want to put money into the market and I do not want to lose it. Uh, if it's $50 a month in income, I don't, I don't care right now. I don't need the money. I just don't want to lose the money. Yep. And then the second is, is all of the, the benefits of, of real estate investing, which is you know, equity, equity pay up that pay down. You're gonna have your cash on cash returns. You're gonna have your appreciation. So one is storage, two is growth and in that order. So I will take a lower income property if it's just more bulletproof and safer and I know I'm not gonna lose it. Because you got all this income, you know, that's the last thing you wanna do is lose that income. And what we're seeing in the real estate market right now is multifamily is obviously getting tanked, getting hit. Yep. Commercial is set for a massive tank, especially commercial in dense areas or destination areas. So you know somebody sent me a, uh, a PPM for a fund that is buying up commercial in San Diego and I'm like, Hell no, no, not right now. A of all, you're in California. Okay, I don't like. Sorry, but like, I'm not going to invest real in California real estate because you know they're talking about actually canceling rent in California. You want to be, you want to be mindful of the places that you're you're putting these assets on the grounds. Yep. You know the the coasts, the West Coast, the East Coast, high density destination type areas. You, you don't really. It's not that you don't want to invest there. You just want to be okay losing everything if you do. Yep. You know. And so staying in the rural areas, I mean, we're seeing people pay rent. I think we collected 95% of rent last month. This month seems to be good as well. Blue collar areas like Birmingham, you know, Home Depot stayed open. Lowe's stayed open. A lot of these, these blue collar job distributors, they didn't, they didn't close. They're seen as essential businesses. So we followed the zip codes and we followed the hospitals. Those are two, two pieces of data there to make sure that your, your house is going to be rented. So I'm kind of rambling here, but hopefully I'm giving you some good stuff.
0: Yeah, so um, there's a lot of a lot of good stuff that, that, you, that you just shared here. One of the things was, very good lesson here, if you're listening to this, if you're just getting started. Taylor said he was familiar and he knew single family. So that's what he knew. He stuck with what he knew. He didn't dive into something else because it was sexy or because everybody was running in there. So very valuable lesson for anyone in any type of investment is only invest in what you know in. Um, and what you what you've become an expert in and, and what you've what you've uh, worked in. So th- that's huge and the the single family. the other thing that I also want to want to touch on here is, yes, the rural kind of bi- away from the bigger cities and stuff, it is almost like you saw the future because I can see, that a lot of people are going to start looking differently at where they live and saying, man, like we just went through this. Am I going to rent an apartment downtown in a major city or am I going to get you know, a little bit further away in in rural towns with with where the prices are a lot less than the big city so your quality of life and your, your cost of living is lower too? That's a big one. And then the commercial side, I mean, I'm just thinking about that like, most companies have figured out how to work remote i mean we've been doing it for a long time so we know but most people that still had the stigma of like oh i can't work from home how does that work you know um can't really uh, do the stop and chat at the cool- the water cooler or the coffee you know and but no it's they're probably more productive um and i think a lot of companies so yeah what's going to happen to commercial real estate you know where big offices are and then some companies maybe they might even look at overheads differently now they might go and say man i just signed this lease of, i don't need this yeah 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 and i'm under pressure you know there's stress on the business i got to save this thing i'm getting out of this lease and people are just working virtually i think the one caveat to that is probably things that are
1: you know like storage is is technically commercial yeah but it doesn't service Businesses it services, more individuals, and I think that's probably like threading the needle a little bit. If people are in storage, or if you have a storage opportunity, you could probably get away with that, and, it, and it's different than a business complex.
0: During uh, boom times and during recessions, there's there's a lot lot of things in there. the The investment side, the, this this is huge, and I love what you're saying too. One of the things, another golden lesson out of uh, what you just said too, is. The difference between very, very successful, ultra-wealthy individuals and families and the average person is that the ultra-wealthy families and individuals have, they're much more, how can I say, cognizant of not losing money, (laughs) right, Um, where if you look at what the average person does, yeah, sure, I'll put it in the stock market where I have zero control over anything, and. You know, you can't really, you don't really know how to protect yourself because most people don't know how to protect themselves with options and stop losses and, and so forth where the really ultra wealthy individuals and and families, they really like, you name the quote, you name, the, you name the famous investor. There's a quote that they've thrown out about not losing money. And, and during times like this, it, it, uh, it most certainly is, is all about not losing money. Uh, and preserving that wealth, because as you as you mentioned, once you start losing money too now you 're you know you 're now you 're in a hole now you 're trying to trying to get back at it, so yeah, so th- those are really, really good stuff. Want to talk a little bit about time and identity you 've talked about time, freedom of time is is huge you 've touched on identity. I wanted to see if you could share a little bit more about that because. I just think that is going to be so important for everyone right now because a lot of people have been shaken up. You know, a lot of business owners, you know, there's a lot of folks in my network that have been very creative and they're getting through this uh, and doing really cool stuff. But then there's other folks that, you know, they are in different situations. So they basically have to redo it. And your identity is going to play a massive, massive role in that.
1: Yeah. So in 2015, I started getting into uh, the philosophy of stoicism and Marcus Aurelius and just the idea that it, i don't know if you've studied stoicism or if you're familiar with it but what i what i started learning is that the volatility of a person's identity if you're not aware of it and you're not conscious of it it can really it'll ruin you you know so many people they feel like their value comes from what they have or they feel like their value comes from how much money they make or their value comes from how many people they help. Even that people don't realize like that's an unhealthy identity. If your value comes from how many people you feel like you help, that's still deferring your value onto something external. It's still unhealthy. And so you got a lot of entrepreneurs who will grow through these three levels of identity. The first level is, you know, I am important because of what I have. And then the next level is I am important because of what I do. And they stay stuck there because it feels okay. Like I'm feeding a million people. I'm, I'm helping this. Well, that, that's still the level two. There's a third level. I am, I am important because of who I am. If I never do another thing, do I still have value inherently? I, I really do see this. Like I, I see more people get out of the game or kicked out of the game because of an improper link up of their values and what makes them valuable, what makes them important for me, like I went through the same phases. You know, In 2015, I started. First month as an entrepreneur was March of 2015. By January of 2016, I was over 100K a month. That's fast, that's really fast. By May of 2016, I was over half a million a month. That's fast, that's fast. We started giving money to people, we started giving money to orphanages, and I went through this level of like, man, I had all this ego. And I had all this stuff to unpack and I was like, I started feeling superior and I started feeling better and because the more money I made, the more valuable I became to myself. And all of these things that were written way, 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 way back in the day, I found out are really, really healthy. And You get into like old Christian texts and manuscripts and all of it's the same. If you look at real ground philosophy, most of it has to do with the idea of tempering that chronic hunger for more and tempering that. Uh, you know, that desire to 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 have more, have more, have more. And so for me, like the way we teach clients is just that you reverse that scale. Be, do, have. And most people do it the opposite, have, do, be. But if you flip it up on its head, you know, the first thing you have to focus on is who am I? What am I, who am I becoming? And if I know who I'm becoming, then I know that the things that I do are gonna be flowing out of the right place. And those things that I do are then going to, equates to true things that I have and true important moments that I have. And so many people get this wrong because, you know, an employee doesn't do a good job. Okay. They react from a place that they are currently at and they end up doing it the wrong way rather than being like, no, you know, I'm going to go ahead and be, I'm going to become this person who's already at my goals and I'm going to respond with grace and humility. And we got these entrepreneurs who are creating self-fulfilling prophecies and they just keep handling the same situation wrong over and over not because they don't know what to do, but because they're not, they are not—they don't know who to be. They're not being the right person. It sounds a little woo-woo, but it's absolutely true as validated by close to 80,000 clients at this point.
0: No, I, I, I like that. And I've spoken about that too. And actually, that's one of the things that I ask myself daily now, actually, who do I need to be to do what I want to do in this new economy? Because I'm going to have to change and become someone through this process too, uh, to get through this on the other side. So we are very much aligned uh, with that, my friend. Um, one, one habit I've observed from wealthy and successful people is that they're always studying new things and learning new skill sets. What are you currently studying and what are you currently learning?
1: Uh, so yeah, this is something I just talked about yesterday. You know, it's interesting because everybody wants to know what books I'm reading all the time, like every single day. And I was telling somebody yesterday, you know, studying has become a not, I've evolved from it being transactional where it's like I'm studying just to get something out of this to more of a hobby that I'm, I'm enjoying. It, it's something that I'm not doing necessarily to get anything out of it. I just enjoy learning. Um, but I try to take a subject and I'll study it for three to four or six months at a time. I don't think that you can really master something in one book. Uh, you're going to have to go a little bit deeper. And so I've switched. You're going to hate this answer, man. I'm just apologizing in advance. But the last eight months really have been capital allocation, investing, wealth building, all of all of those things attached to really building wealth gap. Man, when everything locked down two months ago, I just started studying politics. I was like, I gotta figure this out. Because if the business owners of the world don't understand what's going on, pretty soon we won't have businesses to run. And I really got into it. And I, I have turned that vault of, you know, I've always been this like I said earlier, like my superpower is probably the the study, the acquisition of new skills. And I turned that from capital allocation, business, et cetera. You know, a year ago it was leadership. The year before that it was energy to politics and history and what's really going on right now, man. Like what in the world is going on? And in two months I've just like consumed all of this information and it might not be the most helpful answer for growing a business, but I do tell people often like history is a weapon to be wielded And the past predicts the future and the future proves the past. And so it's not even politics that you need to learn. It's history. As Simon said, this is not un- nothing's unprecedented. It, it might be unprecedented for this generation, but nothing's truly unprecedented because somebody at some point has gone through the same exact thing. And so the ability to learn from our past, learn from the people who came before us, right now I'm fascinated with it. It's pretty much everything I'm reading right now is about like freaking Abraham Lincoln or the Federal Reserve, uh, the, you know, the creature from Jackal Island, how money, you know, this is the fourth Federal Reserve we've had the fourth, not the first. It's the second United Nations we've had, not the first. So you start looking at all these patterns, it's like, this is a fourth iteration because the first three failed and all of a sudden you're like, wait, what's going on here? And it gives you a new insight into like, here's what I'm going to vote for. Here's what I'm going to talk about. And people are so dumb. I love people, but people are so dumb, not because they don't have the intellectual capacity to think, but because they don't have the framework of history. We've already done this. Like We've already tried this before. Why are we trying again? And they don't have that backing. And I think that that's like a passion of mine right now. It's really getting people like, no, go, go look at what happened 100 years ago because it will tell you that we should not do this. You know what I mean?
0: Absolutely. And you just mentioned the book that took me down the rabbit hole like 20 years ago. So The Creature from Jekyll Island, when I, oh when God, I, when I started to want to learn more about money, how money works, how the monetary, the global monetary system works, how the financial system works. So um, I've been honored to have Mr. G. Edward Griffin on the show twice. And it's funny that I spoke with someone earlier today that actually interviewed him on Jekyll Island. They did like an anniversary that, in this wow. hotel where they created the Federal Reserve. It's funny, there's actually, uh, he, t- he took a picture of it. There's a, there's a boardroom called the Federal Reserve Room. In this hotel, that's all. I mean, everybody. It's kind of wide open. It's. I mean, nobody's hiding anything. I guess is what I'm trying yeah. to say. So, um, oh,
1: dude, that just gave me like goosebumps, man. Like to be in that room, and that's crazy.
0: Yeah, and and it's funny that I was actually thinking this morning, uh, in our conversation that I had with him, I said, everybody should read that book right now because then they know what's coming. This book was written like in the nineties. And in the book, he says over and over the name of the game is bailout, right? They're going to keep bailing people out. They're going to bail these people. So, you know, to your point that, you know, from our earlier conversation, about the amount of money that's going to be created in the next in the next year or two years, it, it's it's going to be yeah. something that 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 we couldn't have imagined. And this is all kind of baked into the cake. If you understand and you know what's going on, you know how central banking works. You know how the global monetary system is set up. You know how banks is is uh, intertwined with this. And then you kind of have an, a framework of looking at this. And and that's why you know. Studying this right now is probably one of the best things that you that you could do because 100. Because now you can you can see okay this is what's happened so this is most likely the probability of of what is going to continue because as you've seen you know as you read through the book through there's not a lot of solutions in their toolbox there's not a lot of tools they pull out and say oh we could do x y and z or you know here's five it's like there's like one or two plays right and that's all they got rinse and repeat. Exactly, yeah. exactly. Now, and f- to your point, for business owners to understand the environment that they're operated in, uh, being from some South Africa originally, so, I mean, we always, everyone knows, like, for example, market risk and economic risk. And some people in 2008 and 2009 became familiar with institutional risk. Oh, my money's in Lehman, it's gone. But, it, but, but I shorted the market. I was supposed to be a millionaire. Oh, you, you traded with Lehman. Your account is basically gone, right? So, in the institution is very important too, but a lot of people forget the political risk. So, which is huge, you know, for investors, for business owners to understand what is going on in the political sphere and analyzing it and being clear and seeing, you know, getting clarity, not being drawn in emotionally, but stepping back and like seeing, okay, this is what's really going on. That allows you to actually make pretty, pretty good decisions, right? Yep. 100%. Uh, Now, core message in our show is to leave our families, communities, and the world better than we found it by passing down a mindset, values, and principles to future generations, not just money. So if you cannot pass on any money to future generations, and we're only allowed to pass on three principles to them to build wealth and achieve happiness and success, what would they be? This is a massive, massive question.
1: I would say the first thing is actually something that is just wired into my DNA that I train everybody on our team and I have a beautiful one-year-old baby girl. I'm going to train her on the same. When we have more kids, I'm going to train them on the same. Is this idea that I'm responsible for everything? Everything. I think that sometimes people get uh, They get hooked up on like what's true, what's false. And they they ask the wrong question. Where the question is like what's empowering and what's not empowering. And I think just I think responsibility is the most empowering posture. It just is the most empowering posture for not only entrepreneurs but people. I'm responsible for everything. What, what are the activities that you do when you start internalizing that? I'm responsible for my life. I'm, you know, If you've been bankrupt, you're responsible for that. Don't blame that on the market. You know, if you've made bad decisions, you're responsible. Don't blame that on bad people. Don't blame it on Lehman. If you can take this philosophy, it will allow you to just tune everything as a learning lesson rather than an excuse. Just everything can be a learning lesson or an excuse, you get to pick. second is history is a weapon. Like we said earlier, study the past. Study the past. The past will predict the future. You got to understand that this world is a cyclical world. We operate in cycles, ebbs and flows that repeat over and over and over. And if if people can get grounded in that, then I think it'll give them a great perspective on present and future. And then the the third thing, especially this is going to be great for people in real estate, but great in life too, is always examine the opposite. We get so biased. You know, for a while I went into studying Uh, mental models and heuristics and I got into Charlie Munger and you know those guys have pages of quotes on on heuristics and mental models but one of the best questions to ask is is what if they're right and what if I'm wrong like always examine the opposite because when you get to a place where you're so biased and you're so locked up that you're right your answer is right you you create vulnerabilities in your life for being blindsided and there's nothing better than being able to examine the other point of view and look at it wholly and say you know what I'm 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 going to hold my opinion but I've examined the other side I've examined the opposite and I think if more people did that we'd have less political fighting we'd have less unhealthy rivalries you know we'd have more camaraderie as a species because people have the comp- capacity to look at from the other person's point of view.
0: Absolutely. Absolutely. Those are great. Uh, Taylor, where can uh, folks learn more about you? Where can they follow you? And where can they learn more about the different companies that you have and stay informed of all the many projects that you will be involved with in the future as well?
1: Yeah. So uh, Instagram, you know, we're building that right now. Um, Taylor A. Welch is the handle. And it's it's interesting because I'm also posting my commentary and my views on kind of the political landscape right now as well. People are loving that. Yeah, it's two camps of people. People either love it or they literally are like, I want you to die. I'm like, it's that's, that's weird. But uh, <laughs> it's entertaining, if nothing else. Um, we have an excellent new podcast. It's daily, three to four minutes. It's called Daily Mind Medicine. You can go to dailymindmedicine.com. Uh, and then Facebook, we we are always posting what we're up to on Facebook. Same thing, Taylor A. Welch. You know, social media, is, we haven't really used a ton of it. We've used paid advertising, but we're starting to get in the game on making sure that people have a place to connect with us. I would say Instagram, the Daily Mindset Podcast, and then Facebook are the best places to go.
0: Awesome. Well, thank you so much for spending some time with us. This has been an absolute blast. Really enjoyed it. Really enjoyed connecting. And thank you so much for providing so much value for all of my listeners and viewers.
1: Absolutely. Thanks for having me. Thanks for listening. For more from Chris and Taylor, visit trafficandfunnels.com and get a free gift just for being a subscriber. That's trafficandfunnels.com.